So this is for the benefit of those of you who were not altar servers, okay, in your misbehaved Catholic youth, okay, and so we get a chance here really to talk about terminology, uh, whether as a kid, okay, as a kid that a priest might say to the server, well, we need an extra purificator, go inside to the sacristy and get one. And the kid goes into the sacristy and discovers there's no sacristan, and he doesn't know what a purificator is and doesn't know which of the many drawers it's in. Okay. So George, you're laughing at all the right spots, right? but it could happen not only to our Catholic youth, it could happen to you. Okay. This is a terminology, in a sense, professional terminology, okay, that you kind of really need to know and have down. But let's start with a curveball, okay, on this sheet of paper. Okay, which of those titles no longer exists? One of those titles is wrong. Okay. Can I guess and say communion cups? No, we still got those. Okay. Although you could, um, I, I think people, I, I see why you're saying that, Paul, and it's a good guess. Uh, you could still call them communion chalices when Rome wanted to move that word over. But I think people are still basically using the word chalice to talk about the big guy. Okay. And using, if if you are not using lots of big guy extra chalices, but you are using a set of something entirely different, people are using, at least in my experience, it could be different in the Midwest or crazy Los Angeles, still using the word cup, communion cups. Okay, but who else wants to take a, okay, Bobby, the question we're asking is which of those items on this sheet of paper is mislabeled under current usage or shows the date okay, that this was made up before the time of Benedict the 16th? The sacramentary. Sacramentary, right? The top one on the left is a term no longer used. So in my youth, the missal, always on a stand, was a big fat book. Remember that it had, well, it only had one Eucharistic prayer and nowhere near the number of prefaces that we have available. It had not only mass prayers, but it had all of the readings for the year, okay, for the ordinary days and for the feasts. But in those years, we were only on a one-year cycle of readings, so that lectionary and one Eucharistic prayer could fit in one book. When they took the readings out of the Missal okay, and set up lectionary, okay, and that had to be, as we covered a couple of years ago, four volumes, okay, one for Sundays, 
one for cycle one, one for cycle two, and then commons would be available and the fourth one plus the readings for the ritual masses and masses for the dead. With me on that? So all the readings got moved out. And since it was no longer missile, it was no longer lectionary stuff, that's why they began to use uh, the term sacramentary. But Benedict XVI didn't like that term. Okay, and so when we went to the third edition, okay, that was when Roman Missal came back in. So you could take your pens and cross out the word sacramentary okay, and put in there somehow in your neatest handwriting, the word Roman Missal. So lectionary itself is a little bit of a misnomer. Really, they ought to call those lectionaries uh, because of the four volumes okay chalice comes from the latin word collex which means cup okay the next one down ciborium okay by a show of hands how many of your parishes usually use not what's in a closet a ciborium that kind of looks like this bowl thing that's here. Okay, John Trumbly? No. No, you, you use the footed kind? Uh, no, the one that's pictured there has a little foot on it. Ours are just little bowls with lids. Okay, well, there you have the lids I'm not really talking about. I'm talking about the things that really used to look like just like another chalice, only with a wider cup part. Yeah, ours look like a little bowl and they're stackable, that's all. Okay, and the stackable makes it a lot easier, right? Yeah. <clears throat> okay, purificators we're going to talk more about at length. Book of the Gospels, again, is not a got to, okay? Um, as the Archbishop keeps ordaining more and more deacons, the diocese gives you better. The bishop gives you a gift on your ordination day of your book of the Gospels so that there are more and more parishes that didn't go out and buy one for themselves now have book of the Gospels available. Okay, We talked about this earlier, I think, a little bit that it would be if there is a deacon, okay, then it is carried in the procession or it might be left on the altar before mass and that's a choice even if there is no deacon that the reader for the mass if you have a book of the gospels he also could be carrying that in in procession and would leave that on the altar everybody copacetic on the book of the gospels okay censor and boat we dealt with last week and this is an opportunity for me to say did in your thinking about it or reviewing the notes or perhaps watching any of those videos, this is an opportunity for any questions on last week's material. Were the notes pretty clear? Okay. Uh, the, the, the last part of Father McNamara's part is him trying to justify uh, to this person who is 
opposing his use of a custom, but neither here nor there. The next item is down. Here's one of those strange things. Okay. Our word patent okay, is really from a Latin word patena, which meant a bowl and not a dish. Okay. And originally, they were big ones. Okay. I'm going to almost like a tray. And the deacons would have received the loaves of bread that the people were bringing. Okay. And those would have been brought and one of those would have been uh, taken for okay, that particular mass and the other loaves of bread distributed to the poor. When we didn't collect loaves of bread anymore, went to collection baskets and the money, okay, then over the course of time that the patents got shrunk smaller and smaller. Okay. Go ahead, Paul. Just a quick question, Deacon. Uh, so in the early church, <clears throat> rather than using the unleavened bread as in the Passover and, 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 and as we do now, they used regular regular <laughs> very very possibly given the size of the what those patents were um especially in the east where they continue to use okay unleavened bread okay um yeah uh, when exactly i mean i so that's a good question and i'm going to go look up in father Jungmann's mass of the roman rite to see if i can find a an authoritative answer to your question about when we began to use unleavened bread. Okay. Uh, the, the, the emphasis there is the symbolism of both the Eucharist needs to be understood in terms of Passover. And so the meal that Jesus ate with his disciples the night before he died was a farewell meal. Okay. He did do something special during that meal. Whether it was a Passover meal or not is controverted. Okay. John says Passover wouldn't have started until the following night. Okay. Those who go with John's dating as opposed to the synoptic dating say it's a theological construct that you can't understand the Eucharist without seeing it through the lens of Passover. So that the Last Supper was a Passover meal in meaning whether or not it was an actual Passover meal. Does that sound confusing? But <clears throat> OK, um, more. If we ever get a chance to talk together about Eucharist, okay, I'll explain that in more detail. Okay, but the Western Church was emphasizing the Mass as the sacrifice and therefore the death of the Lord, okay, and therefore wanted to use the bread of oppression. Okay. Whereas the Eastern Church looked at it more comprehensively as the Paschal mystery, which certainly included the death, 
but also included the resurrection and the ascension. And therefore they definitively wanted to use bread that had risen. Okay. When the change was made, I can't say, uh, certainly by the year 1000, each side was beginning to attack the other. Okay. You don't know what you're doing. You should be doing what we're doing. Uh, but I don't think in those earliest centuries, third and fourth, it wasn't as uh, died in the walls, set in stone. Okay. Does that answer your question? Okay. But, but the place that I'm going to go look for your answer will be the Mass of the Roman Rite, okay, in two volumes by Father Joseph Jungmann. Um, in any case, I want to go back to talking about Patton. Okay. All right, so everybody just take a quick look at the word there. So even though we are on Veterans Day, this is not P-A-T-T-O-N the movie and the general, okay? Okay, this is P-A-T-E-N, okay? Now meaning a dish. Okay, so here is one of those practical things that you want to remember and even make maybe a little bit of a note in the margin, okay? When you are either putting together the implements for mass, okay, or somebody else has done it, one of the things you want to find out about the chalice and patent that is being used is whether or not under that patent there is a lip, a circular lip. Am I being clear with what I'm trying to say there? Okay. What's the reason for that? Because I went to a different church, I brought the things over from the credence table, and I didn't realize that the patent did not have a lip, and therefore that dish on the top of the chalice just slid completely off. Okay? So we like the patents with the lip at the bottom because it makes you have to pay a little bit less attention to that aspect. And if it doesn't have one, you gotta make sure that you are pressing down tightly on either the pull or the burst so that you don't make the same foolish mistake that I did. Clear? Everybody understand that as a practicality okay, that probably nobody <clears throat> in the congregation ever thinks of. Deacon, back in the old days when we received communion or we were altar boys and we would follow the priest at the altar, wasn't that a patent too? That was also called a patent, yes. With the handle on it? <clears throat> with the handle on it, although it didn't have to have a handle. Some of the, the ones that you're probably thinking of had the long black handle, but right. there was another kind that just had uh, little handles over on the side. Uh, especially in congregations of nuns, that they might uh, pass that down the line when they didn't have an altar server to do that. Okay. Um, okay, so far so good. All right. Cruets, no problem. Okay. Corporal and Paul, we're going to talk about momentarily. Okay. 
but for the pull, pull is a square piece of cardboard. Okay. That dress is a stiffener, okay. and it's inside this cloth pocket. Often has some kind of a cross embroidered on it. Okay, I recommend that even if father does not want to use it okay, during the Eucharistic prayer, that if you, as a server, or later on as an acolyte, when you're bringing things over to the altar that you bring it over and even leave it down in case he doesn't use it. Okay? Because sometimes the flies don't start until after you are in the middle of things. Okay? So it's better to have that okay? rather than to, even if he doesn't use it at all. Make sense on that? Okay. So let's now go to our notes. Any questions on any of this? Anything that did, made no sense in the explanation? Okay. So I'm in paragraph, well, the, the box at the top of the page, when I'm trying to explain what's what at the altar with new servers, I try to explain them in terms that the kids already understand so that they can relate. So the altar cloth is in effect what they already know, just like a tablecloth at home. Okay? They might not use a tablecloth every meal, but it's usually a tablecloth for special occasions, and this is a special occasion. Okay, so far so good on that one. Okay, then the the purificator okay, is the equivalent of the dinner napkin, okay, and used exactly the same way, and the corporal. Okay, in effect is a placemat. Okay. Now I'll come back to putting those out and the folding of them shortly, but I want to comment on the first line now in paragraph 117 refers to the number of candles. Do you see that there on the opening lines? Okay. So this represents a change in line with simplicity that the council called for. In the old days, okay, uh, a missa recitata, a recited mass, more usually called a low mass, had two candles okay, required. Good on that one? Okay. In a religious community that had the obligation, had a house obligation of the divine office. Let me explain that because I don't think any of you have a reference of that. Uh, once someone becomes a cleric in the old days, a subdeacon, 
now one was a deacon, you have the op, the personal obligation of the divine office. So far, so good on that. Okay. But a religious house had a house obligation different than the individual members of the community, so that the entire office needed to be said in community in the chapel. Making sense of what I mean by house obligation? So that if Father Jones okay, didn't go to morning prayer, he still had the obligation on his own, but they had to make sure that a, a quorum was present for the saying of the divine office, okay? Besides the saying of the office, there was also the obligation of the house mass. And that was called a conventual mass. And for a conventual mass, they lit four candles, okay? The average parish never saw a conventual mass. It was really more for religious houses. Okay, what an excellent, what a tremendous number of lessons in trivia you guys are getting today. Okay. A missa cantata, a sung mass, more usually called a high mass, that used six candles, which is why most of your parishes okay, that were built in the 40s and earlier ha even have six candles. Okay, and a, a sung mass got a larger stipend than a low mass. Okay, so there was always that difference. Okay, Paul, you look like you have a question. No? Okay. A solemn high mass didn't increase the number of candles it did increase the number of ministers, theoretically a subdeacon and a deacon as well as a priest. Or in most of our parishes, it was a somebody, some priest playing the role of the subdeacon or playing the role of the deacon. Okay. And then finally, seven candles would be used for a pontifical mass and you will sometimes see that in the Pope's masses in St. Peter's, that there are a grouping of three candles on one side and a grouping of four candles on the other side. Okay, But that would be for a bishop's mass. I don't think it is required. Okay, Certainly, uh, those bishops who are in parishes, okay, they probably don't use those anymore. Make sense on that? Okay. But I wanted to explain that little bit of a background, okay, and how much less you need to know than in the former days. Okay. Okay. So we need to have, in getting ready for Mass, a missile at the AMBO, the lectionary. Okay. The lectionary is not carried in, okay? The lectionary is always left on the ambo, okay? And now at the credence table, 
you need a chalice, a corporal, a purificator. Okay, you see how it doesn't, it says, if appropriate the pall, they are not requiring the pall anymore. Okay, bread, etc., 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 etc. Now, let me get a glass. Daniel, congratulations. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. How are, <laughs> hello, everybody. <laughs> Yesterday, my test, the citizenship. Uh, Very good. Let me go. Congratulations to our newest, newest citizen. Yes, sir. Thank you so much. <laughs> All right, so why would this not be a good chalice? It's glass. Exactly, all right. And why, even if it were crystal and it were expensive, why would it not be good for a chalice? Why would Rome disapprove? Metal. They want metal, no? Why do they want metal? That's what they made from Rome? I mean, Rome, back in the Roman days, metal was the thing. You could dispose? It breaks. Okay. Okay. In other words, that they, they want something substantial that is not easily breakable. Okay. So that's the reason for that. This is the closest thing I've got in the house. All right. Okay. So when you're dressing a chalice, okay, you've got the chalice. And then the purificator, which we'll talk about the folding in a minute. Okay, you see how it, the fold is up there? I turn it inside out and press that down a little bit so that it doesn't move. And then the pattern goes on top of that. In a lot of our parishes, okay, they don't use a small pattern, they only use Okay, what I'm going to call a more bold type of pattern for daily masses. Agreed? Okay. And therefore, so if, if it would not be appropriate to lay it on top because it's too big, then you would just put the pole on top. Okay. It makes reference here in the, it says that it would be, uh, what's the word that they use? Praiseworthy to cover it with a chalice veil, okay? I think few and far between are the places that still use a chalice veil, okay? That's another show of hands, okay? In your parishes, do you use a chalice veil? Yes, raise your hand. You use one, okay? Paul and Bob, you use one as well? Don't use one, right? Is it just Paul? Paul and John. Okay, now my, my question is, do you use a white one all the time? Or do you, does it match the color of the vestments? Matches the color of the vestments in, okay. in our church. Matches. And do you still use a burse? No. 
Yes, a burst? Yes. Okay. A burst is not included on our list, but I should. Okay. A, a burst was two pieces of cardboard, okay, that were covered in the same fabric as the chalice veil, okay, and it opened up, okay, like alligator, and the. It was a way of carrying the corporal. So the corporal went into the burst and the burst went on top of the chalice veil. I think, yeah, go ahead, Danny. Yes, uh, we have all four, four colors. So I, I go by the, uh, every Sunday, I just gotta make sure that I, I use the auto to make sure that I'm using the right color. Okay. So but that's again, again, not required, okay? Yeah. It was under the former right, it was required. Yeah. I think what, what they're saying now in effect is this notion of, uh, of a notion of the sacred so that you can use white all the time, okay? And by having it covered that it's not, it's not grabbing attention in theory, at least, let us say that you came from a really wealthy parish, very few are, and you had these diamond encrusted chalices, and people are looking at that rather than focusing on things they're supposed to, so that until it gets brought to the altar, it was covered and out of the way. Make sense of that? Which was one of the reasons for the pall, because the pall, okay, let you cover it okay that you weren't just throwing a piece of cloth over a cup okay that you laid the front okay down so that it hit the ground and then folded it back and then the burst went on top everybody making sense on that okay but nowadays even if you're using that okay more than likely that you are okay, most places are not using a burst Okay, that you would take the chalice veil off at the credence table and then bring items over, okay, like this, okay. So this would come over and it would be set in, I'm going to say, to the right side of the altar because the first thing that needs to be done, okay, and this is something that would be done by an acolyte, okay? In some of your parishes that the priests have chosen to keep the corporal on the altar all the time, okay? I think that kind of defeats the purpose and I'm gonna talk now about what was the purpose of this. But let me put this down so that I don't break it. All right, I'm going to do something that I would never want to ever see you do. Okay. See how I waved it? Okay. Never ever do that. Okay. But taking a look at it, see that it is a large rectangular cloth. Okay. And it is folded in thirds okay, up and down and then in thirds left and right. Now, I'm going to fold it properly, and then I'm going to point out 
I think that one of the reasons a lot of priests put the corporal out ahead of time is because they don't want it to be taking up too much time, okay? And that's not too much the time, but being fussy, okay? Where you don't want things that are going to distract attention by being fussy. So if a corporal, okay, you bring it to the altar and you see the, the height of it, okay, you estimate where the edge of the altar is, okay, and then one up. If you will, one square up. Am I making clear what I mean by one square up? Okay, you lay the whole thing down and it is full unfolded like a book so that the opening is on the left. I'm sorry, the opening's on the right. You open the cover of the book, then you open up the other side, then you open up the top, then you open up the bottom. And if you were just a little bit above that one square up, you can now pull it down so that the bottom of it is on the edge of the altar. Make sense, yes or no? Okay. The reason why this piece of cloth is called the corporal is because in the previous mass, better, in the Trent mass, when the priest offered the host, okay, he then slid the host onto the patent, I'm sorry, from the patent onto the corporal. And again, doing what you should not do. You see how the cross is in the, in the center of the bottom? The reason why the older corporals have the cross there was because that was in a sense, like X marks the spot for him to put the host in that square. Comprende, everybody? Okay. So that, that cross, uh, Deacon, would be in the center closest to the priest? Yes. Okay. So if you're thinking of them, if you think of it as uh, nine boxes, and you're going one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, okay? It's in box eight, okay? Nowadays, because it doesn't have the same significance because they're putting the cross for the purificator in the center, some of the more modern corporals will have it in box five, okay? but it doesn't have a right or wrong. There's no rubric about that. Okay, am I making sense? Okay. Now we go back to, if he used to slide the host onto the corporal, now you see why it had that name. It was the cloth on which the body resided. And you now begin to see why in the old days, the folding of it was so essential. Okay. That if, it, if he had broken the host over this cloth, if there were any tiny fragments invisible to the eye, that by 
lifting up the bottom and bringing that up. Are you visualizing that from what you see in your diagram? And then taking the top and folding that down, you have folded in any possible invisible fragments. Comprende? Then the right side goes over and then the left side goes over so that what I'm left with now is back to a, would be opened like a, a square book. Okay. All right, so several things that, again, background that may be helpful for you to understand. The original function of the corporal, even though we used to have three altar cloths, okay, designed for people who were going to knock over chalices and it would absorb it, okay, that's why most of our chalices have a very wide base because it makes it harder to knock over. Everybody with me on that part? Okay. Because the host no longer goes directly on the corporal, okay, it stays on the pattern and the pattern is put in box eight, okay, or somewhere on the corporal, okay, it is less important that it be carefully folded because it doesn't have that same function anymore on watching out for invisible fragments. So far, so good. But, and here's the but, that when priests were ordained, and I think it's still the same, they are often suggested that they make a perduring, continuing intention that they are going to consecrate whatever is on the corporal. With me on that part? So if there is a ciborium that is left over there on the credence table, okay, and if father did not have the intention to okay, consecrate that, okay, it's only what is on a corporal okay, that's going to get consecrated. Therefore, because we're often using either more, more ciboria or more chalices in the days when we had participation in the cup, okay, that those are also usually put extra corporals on the altar because of this idea of whatever is on a corporal is what I am intending to consecrate. Does that make sense or am I too confusing on this? Okay. Clear? Go ahead. Go ahead, John first. Uh, now, we only have one corporal that's taken off the altar and put on the altar with each, but are there other corporals that are just left there on the sides? Is that typical or not? I'm not, I'm just, I'm not sure. Because there are no rules. Okay. It really varies very much on, okay. Um, my current pastor, okay. Uh, in the big church, I think that there are at least 
two corporals on the altar at all times. Right. That's what I never take them off. So that way your altar cloth doesn't have to be changed, correct? Is, is that right? Yeah, I guess so. Okay. Right. Not that they really get that dirty anyway. Right. Okay. You know, they may get dusty. All right. Um, they, they, what it does is that it allows for a bit of reverence. Okay. In other words, that it allows the setting of the altar. So I really want to stress this idea. It shouldn't be busy. It shouldn't be. Okay, it shouldn't be a show. And yet, what we've done is we have ended the prayer of the faithful, and the setting of the altar now allows for a change in the mindset. We're going from the liturgy of the word to the liturgy of the Eucharist. Okay. And so in theory, at least, and you're going to do what your pastor has, in other words, that, that the missile is not on the altar ahead of time. Okay. It's left empty. Be, not, and there, it does an altar cloth on it, but it's empty because that's not really what's going to be the focus. And then so that we set the altar, bringing the missile, okay, bringing the corporal, bringing the instruments, and then finally bringing the gifts. Okay, making sense on the, on the idea. So here's where I'm going. Right, I'm saying that my pastor, who up in St. Margaret's always has two corporals on the altar all the time. Okay, and when I'm not there will lay out the corporals at St. Gabriel's okay, before Mass starts. If I'm on with him, okay, he lets me set the altar with this. Okay? In other words, that because he knows that I am not going to be fussy with it, that it's in and it's done quickly and efficiently without attracting undue attention. Am I making sense on that? Okay. So what I just talked about and what you've got in that diagram there on how to fold a corporal, okay, in one sense, those are the old rules that are no longer required. Got that? But this is an example of where, even though it's no longer required, and this parish could do it, fold it differently than that parish, doesn't it make sense if all of us do it the same way, okay, so that when you're going to a new place, okay, you know how this is going to be laid out, okay, that if you found out that when you unfolded it, it was upside down, okay, you with me on the awkwardness thing? If I don't know the sacristan, okay, and or it's a new sacristan, before I start getting vested, I go check the credence table to make sure that this corporal is folded the way that I want it so that I know that I can do it quickly and efficiently and non-fussily. Making sense on the, the what and the why and the wherefore? Okay. So it's on top. Okay. It looks like a book. I put it down a little bit above. Okay. Left right okay the up the down pull it down so the edge comes to the okay peter would it just make sense to just do it before mass and 
that way there's no pressure, no concern, it's all set up. You know it's done the right way. Instead of checking the community's table and making sure it's all the right. I'm gonna I am going to um answer my answer to your question. Okay, and so it's personal rather than okay, something that's found in the universal church. Before the before the mass intentions, the general intercessions, okay, we have the creed. Okay. My previous deacon in our parish, now deceased and of happy memory, was in the very first class. Okay. He always read the intercessions from the ambo. Okay. I happen to do them from the chair. Uh, let's go back to him. When we would get through the creed that about the part, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, Deacon would leave his chair to walk over to the ambo so that when the creed was finished, he'd be able to start the intercessions. Okay, quick and easy to almost paraphrase what you were talking about. Okay, good idea or not good idea. Whenever there is a movement in the sanctuary, that attracts attention. And so instead of the people thinking about the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, somebody in that congregation is saying, where's he going? Okay. If it were to take him that the such as in the Cathedral of Westminster in London, where the ambo is halfway down the middle of the church, and it's going to be a half a block walk, then it might be a different story. But if it's only a minute or two, the rule for the drama rule, every play director would tell you, you move on a line. Okay. You don't okay, screw things up. Uh, you're moving around on somebody else's line. Okay. Am I making sense? Of and so if you're doing it okay, in a way that is, is efficient and non-fussy, and I've used that word now so many times, it allows people to mentally change gears from one part of the mass to the other part of the mass. And it also shows that this is something now that's going to be important. Okay. At least that's the way that I look at it. Right? Okay. Bob, you agree? Or you just want to dis you want to disagree with Peter? Is that the? No. Nah. <laughs> okay. Here we have starting fights. Right? Okay. Okay. Understand that. So Corporal has got. It has its own history in the past. Okay. It might have a little bit of if the priest has got this intention to consecrate what is on the corporal. Therefore, you might need more corporals. Uh, we have a sacristan uh, who, if something was not, you know, there is the rule that you don't have to purify the vessels during mass that they could be purified after mass at the credence table, okay? And if 
something had not been purified there and had been brought back to the sacristy. So she has this unpurified communion cup and she'd be laying out corporals to be underneath it. You don't need corporals okay, everywhere, right? Okay. But it should be one in the center of the altar. The second piece is the purificator. Okay. Now again, here's something from old style. You see the folds here? Okay. And on this side, because everything's folded in, there is, there's no... Okay. It used to be laid on the side of the corporal. Okay, so it's next to the corporal, and the, if you will, the cross is at the edge of the altar. So this lines up, if this were opened up all the way, it lines up right next to it on the right-hand side. Okay. The reason for having the fold on this side, okay, back in the days when the priest was only allowed to touch things with these four fingers, or better, reserve these four fingers for touching the Blessed Sacrament, that if he needed to pick up the purificator, okay, he would use these three fingers, okay? And so by, by the fold being on this side, it was easier for him to okay, slip the three fingers in. Am I making sense on the what and the whys and the wherefores? Did I ever tell you this CIA story? I never told you the CIA story? Okay. So a classmate of mine, his sister, classmate in college and in theology, his sister was uh, the executive secretary for the director of the Central Intelligence Agency. Which meant that he needed to be good because even he was sometimes being followed to make sure he wasn't a security risk because of his sister's job. So he couldn't be the one to go buy the illegal beer. Okay. Okay. Same with the guy whose dad was in the FBI. He, dad would be in trouble if he bought the illegal beer. That's not where I'm going though. So this woman is going up in the elevator in Langley headquarters. You sure I didn't tell you this story before? Okay. And there is a gentleman on in Mufti, and he's got a newspaper that he's holding in front of his face. Okay. And so he was already on the elevator when she got on. Okay. He's going further up in the building. She gets off at her floor and she turns around and says, have a good day, Father. And he pulls the paper down and he says, again, no Roman color, how'd you know I was a priest? And she said, because when you hold the paper with only four fingers, okay, okay. By the way, Another reason why this would not be a good chalice, uh, 
First of all, we said already established that it's glass. Second of all, that the base is not wide enough, okay? So that on many of them, the base is really wide, wider even than the top, so that it becomes more difficult, not impossible, to knock over. But the third thing, on most of the older chalices, you'll notice that there is a knob there in the center. Okay? And the reason for the knob was that when the priest picked it up, again, he was reserving those two fingers. And so he grabbed on the knob okay, with these other three fingers. Okay? It's one of the reasons why now that when a priest is ordained, they don't only anoint the four, what used to be called canonical fingers, they anoint the entire hand, okay? And that's why you will also see on more modern chalices, okay, that there is less time that people will spend putting a knob there because it is not needed in the way that it once was. Comprende on this? Okay. Excuse me, Deacon. Question. Yeah, and then why is it I've seen purificators that have the ironed little V in them? They iron it with like a little V on the edge. So maybe Mother Violetta was the one who... That was it. It was no... I couldn't understand the significance. Yeah, I, I have no idea. I've never seen one. And then what do they call a finger towel? They seem to be all laundered the same way. <laughs> that's the, probably the simplest answer for the difference between a purificator and a finger towel is the size of the original rectangle. Okay, so finger towels were much smaller. In my parish, a previous pastor, we've abandoned these. And we now use white washcloths, okay, which are much more absorbent. Okay. So it, it may be in the past, John, that a lot of these things that there was a requirement that they be made out of linen. Okay. That has gone out the window, okay, because the linen is too expensive. Okay, and polyester has been allowed in. Okay, does that make sense on the? Are they all laundered the same way, Deacon? Uh, a, a finger towel is not, well. <laughs> the, the old rules were, okay, pre-Vatican II, that the corporal and the purificator were a priest had to immerse them in water, okay? Before he turned them, they would probably then wring them out and then give the, the wrung out purificator and corporal to the person who was gonna do the laundry. And then that initial water would have gone down the sacrarium, okay? Um, Again, again, because the host isn't left on the corporal anymore, but is always either in 
a patin or a ciborium, there isn't that same urgency, okay? And so you will find some priests, uh, some priests out of devotion, some priests because of reactionary leanings, okay, will want to continue that, okay? But it is, I, my understanding is that it is not necessary, okay? Clear on that? Okay. So, again, this one unfolded, okay, it would be a rectangle, the corporal unfolded would be a square, and the finger towel, okay, would be a smaller version of the purificator, okay. The pull cover, if you will, is a way smaller version, although with a pocket inside of the corporal. In other words, also a square. Any questions on any of that? Okay. Now, what have I made notes for? Okay. If you take a quick look on, we're still on, even though I've jumped ahead on a lot of this. Okay. If you take a look at C, okay. I mean, 118, page one, number 118. I'm looking particularly at C. Everybody see that in the box? In your parishes, what important item is left out given the practicalities of the parish setting as opposed to the what the germ considers appropriate. Paul, you look right now like you've got a halo around your head. Very holy. Very holy. Miriam? What was your guess, Peter? Sibrarium. Sibrarium. No. No. Aquarium is usually in the sacristy, Paul, okay? and it's a pipe that goes down into the ground. Bob, I think you're saying something, but you're not, you're muted. It never sounded better. <laughs> nice, be nice. What's missing? got my chalice, I've got my patent, I've got my purificator, my corporal. Something that's not usually kept either on the altar or on the credence table. That means the bread for communion? A what? No, that's right. You're, you're getting close, you're warmer, you're in the right area. Picks. Nah. How are you getting to the picks? Oh, a tabernacle key? Tabernacle key. Uh -huh. right? In most of your parishes, right? okay, you are going to the tabernacle at virtually every mass, agreed? Even if even if you are not going to bring a ciborium out, 
okay, that you've got extra hosts and after communion, you're putting the extras in the tabernacle. So once again, this is the germ. The germ's idea is tabernacle. Who knows tabernacle? We don't know tabernacle, right? But in reality, the key, the tabernacle key in the tabernacle, it's a good thing to be there rather than sending somebody racing off into the sacristy to look for it. We, we always have it in the tabernacle already before the mass. Right. Agreed. Okay. But it after mass, after the last mass is over, Peter, okay, I hope that that key comes inside. Right. Otherwise, there's no point to having a key. Okay. All right. Other notes that I've made here. Okay, I'm on page two at the top. And I'm in the third bullet down. It says, no, for this particular missile, the tabs for the Lord's Prayer and the Solemn Blessing. Okay. Well, what do I mean by that? Okay. I think for most of us, we're not dealing with extremely elderly priests. Okay. And they can make the choice by themselves for which of the nine different Eucharistic prayers they want to use for Mass. Agreed? Okay. But especially if you have a visiting priest... For example, at a funeral, okay, not every missile company set the tabs that are usually in the missile in exactly the same way. Am I being clear what I mean by the tabs? Okay, he'll be able to figure out usually first, second, third, or fourth Eucharistic prayer, okay, and then the other ones are more towards the top. But I know that in my parish, okay, we always, for every Mass, we use two missiles. We use one that stays at the chair all the time, is used for the opening prayer and the concluding prayer, as well as the Creed and the Gloria. Okay? And then the other missile that we bring to the altar okay, for the Eucharistic prayers. We bought when the Roman Missal came, the Magnificat company's Roman Missal. The boss liked that. But they came with tabs, but they were not pre-glued onto the pages. He could determine where he wanted the tabs to be, which he did, okay? The point that I'm making is if Father has finished Eucharistic Prayer 3, okay, when he were to change the page, what's next comes Eucharistic Prayer 4. Okay? And he needs to know where the Lord's Prayer is going to begin. Okay? So that you want to know nine times, better, 99 times out of 100, your help will not be required, whether as a deacon or a really prepared acolyte, 
Okay. But if he starts to be confused as to where he's going, it's helpful if you know exactly what tab he needs okay, to get to the Our Father for the beginning of the communion rite. Am I making sense on what the possible problem was and what you want to know about the missiles in your parish? Okay, clear? All right, next item. I hope not to be telling tales out of in my parish we have a priest who will remain unknown to you and never ask me about it please who will sometimes in his perspiration okay not use his handkerchief, but will use the purificator to wipe his brow. Okay. When that priest is celebrating mass, okay, we very subtly, okay, we have another purificator on the credence table, okay, because if pre-pandemic, we were going to give the cup to the daily mass people and I was ministering the chalice, I would have been uncomfortable using the purificator okay, with his sweat on it okay, to be wiping the chalice between communicants. Clear? So this is just a knowing your own people, in other words, that having an extra purificator around can't possibly hurt. And hopefully you'll never need one. Okay, but you understand what I'm using and why I'm using it? Um, okay. Next item, okay. On page, on page three, The picture of the chalice, based on things that I've said so far, would we call this one a modern chalice or an older chalice? Modern. Okay, why? The bottom's not that wide and there's no knob. Correct. Okay. And you see also that in that particular picture of it, that there is no, no pattern between the purificator and the pole, okay? And again, a, a small individual pattern is not necessarily required, okay? And that's why if you're looking in the catalog books, a lot of places may, even when they sell the chalice, have an individual pattern, okay? If Father is saying a mass all by himself or having a ciborium that is wider okay, and can take enough hosts as well as his large host for a daily mass. In my place, we Monday through Friday, nine o'clock, we usually only run probably no more than 30, 35 people. Okay. And so we don't need a big ciborium full. Okay. 
but for those of you able to go to your parishes for for daily mass, how many uh, how many congregants are you getting? I get around forty. You got around forty? Okay. Anybody else? Uh, most of you are still working, so uh, about twenty-five or thirty in my parish. Okay. Well, at our twelve fifteen, we can probably get up to maybe fifty or sixty. Oh wow! Huh? Is it a really big church? Uh, oh yeah, St. John's. Huh? Yeah. Uh, all right. Any questions on setting the altar? Uh, okay. Have you found that this was like bringing coals to Newcastle? This is stuff that you already knew already and kind of wasted your time, which I wouldn't want it to be, but okay. It's helpful to me to know what you already know so that I'm not not <clears throat> laboring you with the obvious. I found it helpful. Okay. Um, again, I want to, um, some things by like doing things naturally and normally, smoothly, okay. These are uh, things that you're going to get used to the more that you do them, okay? Um, and probably to often to think back at the, uh, maybe the first time that you were ever a lector, okay? Where do I go? Am I going to trip on the step, okay? Which reading do I do? Will they leave the right place for me if you're using multiples, okay? And once you get used to it, in other words, that okay, it's not as awesome a difficult job okay, as you had made it out to be. So we've got uh, something coming up on Friday night, do we? Right? I'm going to be seeing you folks uh, at Dunwoody's Chapel. Um, okay. What time did Frank say that he wants you there? Six o'clock. Six, okay. Six. Yeah, we got but it. he said six fifteen, but six no, o'clock. No. He said no later than six fifteen. Okay. Uh, Deacon George, I have a question. Sure. It's more of a maybe a comment. I thank you for this. This was very helpful for me. I was never an altar server. I helped train altar servers before, but so this was very helpful. Um, the the Book of Gospels in our parish at one time. Monsignor John Durko, I think, stopped this practice, but when we would carry it in, there used to be a stand on the altar, and we would place the Book of Gospels in the stand. And I remember when I first had to do that, I was very uncomfortable because the stand was so, it was kind of big, and I was always worried about the Book of Gospels maybe toppling over. And then we changed the stands to where it was a really small one and you had to kind of really work the Gospels into it. Um, one time I had seen a reader actually put the Book of Gospels upside down in the stand. Um, is that common practice? We did, we've gotten rid of the stand. And I remember in the readings, maybe it was a few weeks ago, where it may have spoken about there shouldn't really be too many things on the altar that, um, I don't know, kind of just really don't belong there. I, I mean, is a stand a common practice, I guess, is my question. Okay, so several different... If we would go back to Middle Ages, 
you know, things like the Book of Kells and, and those Linda's, Linden Farm Gospels that evangelaries, books of the Gospels only, it used to be part of our practice in the Western Church, is my understanding. And then following Trent, when the Mass of Pius V, which that is, okay, standardized things and everything it was in the one book, I don't, before Vatican II, never saw a book of the Gospels that wasn't in a museum. Okay, so that the Vatican II kind of brought that back, okay, and wanted to, I, I'm going to say, I understand that part about, certainly by keeping the, the altar pretty basically bare, except mm -hmm. for a, an altar cloth, liking that, but, um, in Paul's parish, Paul, where are you? We've moved things up. Okay, there you are. I don't know why things get moved around right, in the middle of things. Okay. Father Sorgi was big when he taught liturgy on the principle of progressive solemnity, that you added things on on the more important the occasion. Okay. So that ordinarily we're going to, and I'm going to come back to this. Uh, ordinarily, when I think the Vatican would like the altar to be empty, except uh, when it's actually setting things up for the liturgy of the Eucharist. But on a Sunday, to mark a Sunday different than a weekday, you want to add on progressive solemnity. Am I making sense? I'm, 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 for myself, for example, uh, while we own all the liturgical colors of Dalmatics, okay, on an ordinary weekday, I'm only wearing an alb and a stole. But if it is a Sunday, or if it is a feast, or if it is a solemnity, I'm wearing a Dalmatic principle of progressive solemnity. Am I making Yes. Okay. So the book of the Gospels, the first time other than a museum, things like the Lindisfarne Gospels, was during the Vatican Council. They didn't begin with Mass each day. Okay. The, the fathers of the council celebrated in their own, you know, wherever they were staying. But when they came together, okay, that the book of the Gospels was enthroned on the altar while they met in session. So that the symbolism was, uh, was that in a sense that while Christ was already there, wherever two or three were gathered, okay, that Christ was presiding over the council. Am I making sense on that? Okay, so I think that's where people started to see a book of the Gospels, which we hadn't seen growing up, being enthroned. Okay, and now where, where they were putting it on a stand was because they saw those pictures of it okay, enthroned in St. Mm. Peter's Basilica. Okay. 
the practicalities then came in most places. Uh, one is that you were trying to show the unity of the symbols. And, and by that I mean the altar is a symbol of Christ, okay? And the book of the Gospels is a symbol of Christ, okay? It is Christ when it's proclaimed, okay? but as a symbol of Christ, in the same way that a, a chalice out of devotion and maybe sometimes misplaced devotion might be decorated with jewels, okay? So often a book of the Gospels might be given a metal covering, okay? In some ways like the Easterners do with some of their icons, and they even call a silver cover where you only see the face and all the rest of it is like a silver cover. And they even call that a vestment, okay? Because it's special, it's sacred. So putting the book of the gospels on the altar, whether flat or up, was to try to show the unity of the two symbols, okay? Christ in word and sacrament, but only symbol, okay, because the moment was coming when that word would be proclaimed and he'd be really there in his word, and the moment is coming when he's really going to be there, okay, on the altar. Am I making sense so far? Yes. Now, the practicality was that the one that the bishop is going to give you when you get ordained, God willing, okay, is fancy in its cover, okay, they make those metal things. Okay. How many of you have metal covers for your uh, book of the Gospels? Okay. We have it, but we don't use it anymore. Okay. Because it's too damn heavy sometimes. Yeah. Okay. And what the metal cover did, Steve, was that it made putting it straight up and down on the altar, that by opening it up a little bit, and getting getting John Tremblay's V, right? But that it stayed upright, okay? But if you had a problem with it, okay, it was more the idea that it was there, it was just lay it down flat. So mm -hmm. what you're telling me is when Senior John Dorco then is just removed the removed the I don't know stand. if my, yeah, I don't know if my senior or father Bisignano Oh he removed the stand, yes. Right. Did remove it. It's because it's probably in the long run. If it causes more problems than it's worth, then out it goes. Yeah, now we just lay it flat on the altar. Okay, and that that's probably the easiest. Mm -hmm. Because because if there is a gust of wind in your church, and okay, that gospel book okay topples over, which has happened. Okay, then we've got all kinds of people wondering if it's a sign from heaven. Mm -hmm. Those are not the things that we want them focusing on. Okay, uh, probably, okay. did I ever tell you the story about, I have to have told you the story about up at Graymore, the, the Russian Orthodox priest celebrating with the American Orthodox priest. Did I ever tell you that story? Remember that the altar is sacred space, okay? And it's not a shelf, 
It's why the credence table is different than the altar. So this visiting Russian Orthodox, okay, he was actually from Europe, not from Mother Russia, and he was literally a prince. Okay, so the, he's got that aristocratic bearing, but that aristocratic mindset. Okay, and he's saying the prayers and singing, okay, in Russian. Okay, and finally he steps back, and the American Orthodox priest he continues. And he's reading the prayers and singing the prayers. Okay. And now it's time for okay, the main celebrant, this Russian prince priest, to continue. The American takes off his glasses, which he needed to be able to read the text, and he puts his glasses down on the altar. Okay. Without missing a beat, okay, the Russian prince priest sweeps the glasses off the altar onto the ground. The glasses are not sacred. Okay. Now, I'm not telling you to do that. Okay. I'm certainly not telling you to do that. But I'm trying to give you, by that story, to give you a sense of the altar is not a place you know, that you want to get across that sense of the sacred. Okay. Uh, you don't use it as a place for storage, okay? And notice how even nowadays, uh, if you had, uh, let's say, uh, uh, let us say that there is this particular statue of Our Lady of Lords, and it's the Feast of Our Lady of Lords, okay? and you move it into the sanctuary for the feast day, although it's only a memorial, okay? Do you put that statue on the altar? Okay. Even if you're watching the Vatican, and whereas those are always on a stand near the altar, okay? and they will also get incensed, okay? But they are, you don't put things, even holy statues on the altar. You don't put relics on the altar, okay? Because it's sacred space, okay? So what your priests in your parish, I think have done quite rightly, Steve, is to say, we wanna keep, uh, we do wanna keep using the book of the gospels. It's a good sign. It lets us know that gospels, I'm not liking the word I'm going to use, but I can't come up with a better one. Outrank other books of scripture. Every word of all the scripture is inspired. But for us, the gospels have pride of place. Okay. And that's why we use a special book for it. We have special ceremonies for it, etc. Am I making sense? Uh, in your place, when people had to struggle to get it in there, okay, um, it became counterproductive. Okay? And thinking, and that you're never going to remember this, but two or three years from now, after your ordination, and you are the deacon of a mass at St. Patrick's, okay, and you're carrying the book of the Gospels okay, from the back of St. Patrick's up to the altar, 
So you're going, if you will, close to three quarters of a city block. Okay. You will remember I told you two things. One, how heavy it is. So don't hold it up that high. Okay. And the second part is that down at the bottom, there is a little piece of metal that sticks out that you can stab yourself with. So be very careful okay, in carrying the cathedral's book of the gospels. Okay. I hope I had that problem. Amen, amen. Okay. Guys, I want to thank you very much. Are there any final questions? <clears throat> I did read ahead a little bit, and your explanation of the unleavened bread is exactly what it says on uh, New Advent. Wait, wait, on where? On the uh, New Advent website. Uh, okay. Uh, it was exact, almost like you were reading it. So perfect. Okay. I, I had not read that. It's you know it is because it is. I, uh, uh, there was one last thing that I wanted to. I will see you on uh, Friday. Okay. Uh, Danny, where are you? I, I want, did, did Danny disappear? Okay. Our, our new citizen, where are they? He's there. Yeah. Which one you got? Daniel. The new citizen. Cornel. Cornel. Yes, 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 yes. How are you? Why do I not see you? What? You can last. Yeah. Okay, I have two Anthony Renos. <laughs> That's right, I've divided myself. <laughs> Mitotically divided. You're a miracle. That's right. No, no, it's not. It's not. As God has blessed us in our coming together, right? And uh, may He guard us in our going. May we all be safe, drive safely in tomorrow's rain. Um, be careful out there. See you all Friday and see you next week. Thank Bye, you. Doug. Thank you again for hosting. Doug, how are you doing in the classroom? Surviving. 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 Okay. <laughs> yeah, everything's going good.